Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Basically, I am your host, Stephanie Preisner. And today I am interviewing someone who I have admired from a distance for several months now since she became a TD. Um, I'm going to be speaking to Holly Kearns, who is a TD from West Cork. Thank you for joining me, Holly. Um, I have had a lot of messages from people asking me about... So I've had Pascal Donahue on, Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, Micheál Martin, people who have these long, protracted uh, pol- political careers. But you're slightly newer to the game, am um, I right? Slightly, yeah. Very new to the game. Um, I'm a classic case of straight out of the repeal referendum, bit of a light bulb moment, knocking on doors, asking for votes, that works. Um, and straight into the local elections from there. We formed a branch of the Social Democrats in West Cork immediately after the referendum. Um, and the local elections were in May. And at that point, we were like, look, we'll put up a candidate. That's how you build a branch. That's how you get the party message out there by taking part in these things like elections. But even we at that point thought we had no chance of taking a seat and yes. everybody would have told us that. How many seats are there in the constituency? So the, in the local election, in the electoral area, there were four. Okay. And the less seats there are, the harder it is to take one because people will always tell you, well, that's a Fianna Fáil seat, that's yes. a Fianna Gael seat, that's a whatever seat. But and I was historically, like, what have they been? Do you know? Or All like, of those things. A very Fianna Gael constituency. Michael Collins, the original Michael Collins is from you know, West Cork. So it's a stronghold. It's their heartland. Um, But I was always of the impression that like, what do you mean it's the Fine Gael seat, for example? Like it's Cork Southwest seat. Yes, we can have whoever we want in there. Yeah, it's it's the people's seat. Like that's democracy. There's no such thing as owning one. I don't, it's not a Social Democrat seat now. You know, that's up to the electorate. If it remains you're sitting in it. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a, you know, I think that's a bad way to look at it, that so-and-so owns a seat. Um, so, yeah, we just said, you know, we'll try and build a party. We'll go for the local elections. And um, the other two women, there was only three of us in the branch at this point, And they just had more sense. They didn't want to stand for the election. So I was like, sure, look, it, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Have you always been interested or was it, ju- was it just repeal that got you? Like, what's your history with politics? So I never considered myself interested in politics. But in hindsight, yes. Um, I remember when I lived, I was living in Waterford. Was, I think I was about 19 or something at the time. And the presidential election was happening and I felt really strongly about the injustice of the way the LGBT community were treated in Ireland at that time. So I actually went out and canvassed with David Norris because I thought he would be the president most likely to change that Mm -hmm. at the time. And, you know, I didn't see that as political engagement particularly. Then I remember going out and sort of protesting about the banks being bailed out that time. Again, I didn't really see it like that, but... Uh, then no interest again. I moved, lived abroad for years. Um, I came, I was living in Malta and working there for a few years. And I knew I was going to move home and take on my family farm and business. But I came back earlier than what was, say, convenient in order to canvas and vote for marriage equality. And then again, no interest again after that. Plodding along, repeal came along. And, you know, just you'd think I would have realised sooner. Obviously, everybody else knew <laughs> yeah. that there is a correlation between knocking on doors, asking for votes and affecting positive change. But that was just incredible to see and to be a part of the repeal referendum, how it can happen, you know? And I just thought it's politics that affects our lives. Mm-hmm. And there's no, like a consistently complaining about things like that. You know, 18, yes, I yeah. protesting about the banks. Like, 
in essence, at the end of the day, if you want to actually affect real change, I I figured this is the best way to do it. Um, and we were so unbelievably lucky. Like first time out in the local elections, uh, we took the seat. And like that, we were literally laughed at when we said we were, when I said I was going forward to the election. People literally laughed in my face. You haven't to hope. People from other parties or just general elected people? Both, yeah. yeah. The, the works and like the predictions in the newspaper the week of the election, I wouldn't have even been mentioned in them. Okay. And then I remember we arrived at the count centre the day of the count for the local election and I like my mum, two of my aunts, uh, the two other members of the Social Democrats in Cork Southwest at the time, a couple of friends and we were like, how do we tell you? Like I Googled it the night before and people just sort of being like, will you get out of the way kind of, you know, because Cork Southwest tally's mental. We don't work together. There's loads of tally teams. You're standing on chairs looking over the, the ballots. Yeah, it's and, almost like a mart. Oh my God, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's just like the mart. <laughs> Only it smells worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, everyone was like, would she just move? You know, they're getting in the way and they, they don't even have a hope. And the first box they opened was Bally de Havon. We topped the poll. And everyone was like, who's oh, wow. Holly? We like, Game changer. We were like, oh my God. Um, so I came third in first preference votes in that electoral area. And, you know, our voting system so interesting. I've been on both sides of loving it and, you know, not feeling so good about it. So yeah. this time the preferences kept bringing me down. So it's really important to vote the whole way down your ballot has such an impact. So I came third. So explain that to people. So. Because my understanding is yeah. that if you, if you don't want a party to get a seat. Yeah. Say you are trying to keep party X out of government, you never want to see them. Yeah. That by putting them on your ballot low down, you could possibly be transferring a vote to them. Well, sort of. It depends how far down they are. So if, for example, I'm a voter and I want Stephanie to get elected mm-hmm. and I desperately don't want Holly to, mm-hmm. I would put Stephanie number one, then whoever you want number two, keep going down and the person you least want if you actively don't want somebody, you put them last because then they'll never get a transfer. Because it's not possible it's to not transfer possible. like when, 10 when, people, depending on how many people are running, I suppose. You'd be, yeah, that person would have been eliminated in advance of getting your transfer if it's your last one. So if you're so, voting the whole way down and you think, look, I definitely don't want um, a Fianna Fáil candidate, but there's two Fianna Fáil candidates and there's one you'd prefer. It's very much in your best interest to put them last, but in the order that you'd prefer them. Otherwise, you're just not having a say on that. Okay. So we could see in the end of the local election, I got in by a singular vote. So... Excuse me? I know. You got in by one vote. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's happened before, but it was insane. So, and then people say like, oh sure, why would I bother? I mean, every vote counts story yeah. of the century. Oh my God. So they had third and first preferences. And then because I, I didn't get as many transfers as the person who was, say, fifth, I think, in first right. preferences. But he was very... They call it transfer friendly. So somebody would go, number one, Fina Gale, number two, Fina Fall, number three, this person. And when so all of those other people are eliminated, they get that as a number one vote. It's so important to vote all the way down. I didn't get as many transfers. I got a lot of number ones. <laughs> right, okay. And then, so having come third in first preferences, I ended up in a fight for the fourth and last seat. And at the first count, I lost by one vote and I called a recount. And then you won by one vote. So yeah, then we moved up to County Hall. It had been in the community hall in Clonakilty, the count. Then we all moved up to County Hall and there was like a team of Social Democrats came down from Dublin. Like, we need to get this seat. So again, it's like it's kind of a more organised tally there. It doesn't, mm-hmm. You know, it's not as mart like up in County Hall and there's only one count going on and everybody's looking at it. There's legal teams. There's, you know, it was really, really intense. And um, the returning officer, all of these people. And we did a recount and I was up by one vote. They so they found two <laughs> votes somewhere. 
there, our votes were, our first preference votes were in pause of 50 and two of my pause had 51 in them and they just miscounted them. Oh my God. Um, so then they brought us into like this private room in County Hall, me and the other candidate, they're like, we've done a recount and actually Holly's up one vote now. I was like, oh my God. Were they raging? What party was it from? Independent. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were really gracious and lovely about it. You yes. know, really nice candidate to be in that position with, 100%. Um, and then there was another recount and we got to scrutinise <laughs> the solicitor. So you have, you can have one rep, two representatives each with you, both candidates, two of the reps, uh, Cork County Council and um, a legal representative for the council. And we scrutinise the votes that are kind of debatable. Yeah. You know, and they're kind of going, um, I could say, I dispute this one. And they go, no, clear indication of preference for the other candidate. Yeah. Okay, move on to the next one. And this is obviously like the most crucial part of the whole thing. You know, no one could believe it. We were actually in the running for a seat in this. And then it was down to one vote. Like you couldn't have written it. The count went on for days. <laughs> well, when was this? Uh, May. Okay, yeah. And then... At this moment, you'd think that you'd be like adrenaline running. It's like I had literally just run out of energy in that moment. I was sitting in the chair, they're scrutinising the votes. The most crucial part, one vote was going to swing it. Yeah. And my campaign manager was, are you okay? In a WhatsApp or whatever. She thought I was maybe having like a breakdown or the pressure was too much. I started to fall asleep. Oh my God. And there's so much media there and so I couldn't let on. So Roisin Shortwell had come down, one of our party leaders to help with the recount. So tonight she'd be like, we need to take a toilet break. And then went out to the toilet and the other candidate came up to me and said, congratulations. I was like, what? So then he didn't scrutinise any more votes. Wow. It was clearly, they'd already been scrutinised. Yeah. And then we went back in like my mum had been there for days and I was like, well, it's not, we're not going to find out this evening. It's going to be another, you know, go home. Yeah. And then it's like after days of it, it just happened so quickly. And how many votes are we talking? Like, how many are they recounting? How many are they recounting? I suppose there are, how many people in the, I don't remember the numbers. Like in first. Thousands and thousands. Thousands, yeah. So I would have got, you know. I think 1,000 or something first preferences. So it's much lower than the local elections where you're talking, or the general elections where there's kind of your first preference between four and six. six or, yeah. yeah. Or some people 10, you know. What is Dublin? We have to explain what Dublin is. The Dublin podcast is an eternally pregnant woman. Um, I mean, I've been pregnant three times. Yeah, but you've been pregnant since I met you. Right, okay. Hanging out with a neurotic middle-aged toddler mm-hmm. and the way that those two people from very opposing sides of the... Um, World, see the see the world around them. Is that it? I Is think that that's a good it. explanation. Well, of it? That's a very good explanation. Uh, you can listen on Spotify. You can listen on iTunes. You can listen on the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Dubyard, Dublin Podcast, Dubyard Airhouse. So then you're a local councillor. Yeah. Right. So what? Is that job? Do you does that start from that day? Then you're like, okay, you've got the seat. There's your job now. Immediately become a councillor. Yeah. And what does a councillor do? This is a really good question. Um, so there's a couple of different ways of looking at this. So there's sorry, but also who tells you what to do? Is there no one? <laughs> no one tells you what to do. So they're just like, "That's your job now," and you're like, "But what is it?" Yes, you're like, that was exactly what I was like. Um, <laughs> and like, obviously, most people are a member of a big established party, but I was the first and only Social Democrat to be elected in all of Cork City and County. So there's like, you know. On a normal day, starting off as a county councillor, you probably go up, go into your party room, and there's all these experienced councillors who say that's where you sit this is what you do I was like <laughs> I arrived up on my own up where? to County Hall okay, in Cork right. sorry yeah and then when I got there I realised that everybody had brought their families this is the thing where you bring all of your families for the first day oh, and they're all like day. The, and I just there on my own yeah oh gosh. Um and yeah then you know the first day you elect a mayor 
And this was a really interesting part that people might be interested to hear because I didn't know this is how it worked. I thought this would be like a democratic election whereby who, because the councillors elect the mayor. How many councillors are there? Uh, there's 13, there was 13 women, I remember, of 54, something like that. I'd have okay. to double check the numbers. Sorry, That's fine, but we're like talking like in the 50s anyway. Something to yeah. that effect. And you would think that then there'd kind of be, you know, we're electing a mayor. This is going to chair all of the meetings for the rest of the year. It's a, yeah. year, a, yearly, a yearly term. Um, they have quite a lot of influence. They're the face of the council, all of these things. But it's not done like that. It's not like you you know, hear a speech from both of them or get to meet them and kind of see what they're about. Nothing like that. Before the first sitting, there's a horse trading that goes on. This blew my mind. So Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were both getting in touch with me being like, we'll give you a seat on this SPC if you vote for our mayor, a strategic policy committee. So it could be like, if oh, you don't want to end up on the roads one, but you'd like to be on the environment one, we'll sort that out for you if you back our mayor. So it's like, this is fascinating. You're being so lobbied. Lobbied by the big <laughs> parties. So I met them. I met with Fianna Gael and just because I was like, I'm kind of really intrigued to see what this is about. I knew that I probably wasn't going to go along with any of those offers. Um, that's the problem, you know. Yeah. But I just really wanted to see how this works and I was fascinated by it. So I went along and met Fina Gale. I haggled really hard. They offered me a year as mayor if I would back theirs because it was very tight. So you get to be mayor if you vote for their mayor? In that situation because, so Fina Gale actually have the majority of councillors on Cork County Council. Fianna Fáil have slightly less, but all of the Labour Party and most of the independents do this pact thing with Fianna Fáil so they actually have the majority. Okay. So they get the mayor, you know? Right, okay, So okay. then you'll see a swap between Fianna Fáil and independent throughout the term of different mayors. Right, Whereas if Fianna okay. Gael had managed to get people like me to back them, but like that's obviously how desperate they were to offer me a year as mayor. <laughs> like you'd be mad, you know, and I don't want to be the mayor anyway. Um, <laughs> so what did you decide in the end? So I was like, nobody elected me to go into a grouping with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. Yeah. I very much got involved in politics because of disillusionment with those two big parties. I yeah. think it's politics always focusing on the past instead of the future. But it's almost like, you know, do you prefer, who's your favourite civil war hero? You're voting for Amy your Devin granddad's Mayer future, Collins. not yeah. your kids. Like yeah. I just, I completely was disillusioned with that and that was one of my main motivations for going into politics. I thought, I knew from repeal there was so many people like me who wanted something more progressive. Everyone told me repeal wouldn't pass in West Cork. I knocked on so many doors and I knew that there was more progressive people there who wanted something more progressive to represent them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I decided, yeah, I didn't want to be in a grouping with either of them. So I said uh, nope to both. And like I would be kind of against abstaining on votes. Yes. But in that situation, when I have a choice between voting for Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael in exchange for something for me, I decided to abstain on both. Okay. And said in my contribution, my first contribution on my own, no one there was me, that I thought it was ridiculous that this is how we elect a mayor to not get a chance to meet the candidate, find out what they stand for, that it's already a foregone conclusion. You guys have already figured it out. This is theatre. Yeah. <laughs> Let's come on and vote when we know what the result is. And who won then? Um, Fianna Fáil got the, the first mayor. Okay. And do you have, are you, do you have to be on these special planning committees? The or strategic policy committees. Yeah. You're entitled to be on two strategic policy committees anyway. But then there's other committees like uh, coastal management. Do you get paid to be on them? No. Oh, unless you're a chair, or, which okay. I would never have which had a hope never. of. Yeah. So they weren't offering you money. It was just like... They did now. If, if Say if you became... Um, the, this is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things they trade off as well now that you say it, that you do get paid for, which is if you are... So there's different ways whereby the council meets. There's full council meetings on one Monday. The next Monday, there's the 
Western Division in my area would be called. So that's quite a big area, but not all of the county. So the management and councillors for that area. And then there's a smaller one down again where it's the municipal district. So if you got chair of the Western Division or the municipal district, there is an added wage for that. I don't know what it is. Okay. So you arrive that day and you're like, okay, so this is my job. Mm. And then how do you find out what your actual job is? Yeah, it's. I think that it is the job that you make it is the unique thing about being a counsellor. So everybody can take a different approach. That's my understanding because nobody okay. ever told me what my brief was. <laughs> so what did you interpret your brief as? I interpreted my brief as do... So I always think that, you know, in politics, if you work hard, remain completely honest, then you're doing your best. Yep. You know, if you really make sure you're always doing those two things and representing the people, you know, who got you there as well. Like yep. that that ties into being honest and working hard. That's what they want. Um, but what became my a, lot, a big part of my role in Cork County Council, which isn't something that I planned or foresaw, was explaining to people how it worked because it turned out that nobody knew. So you won't believe this, Stephanie. When I got onto Cork County Council, I was just really confused. So we'd have a meeting I'd arrive at the meeting, somebody would come over and put this big document on my desk. I'd be like, oh my God, what's this? No party to talk about it with. Uh, trying to read it. We're having a vote on this. I'd be like, sorry, can we defer this to the next meeting? Because I haven't had time to read this document. Not like to like understand it. What kinds of things would it be? Developments in the area. Um, it could be anything, like okay. a, a new town plan, all these. It could be absolutely anything that the council could vote on. Okay. That they would give you the document immediately before the meeting. So I'd be saying, sorry, can we do and, and you feel embarrassed and a bit scared to say something like that in the in a meeting. Yeah. Can we defer this next meeting? I haven't had time to read it, not to mention understand it and have an informed vote on it. Uh, ignore her kind of thing. What's she... And I just couldn't believe that this is how it was done. So Did was other like, people have the document before you? No, or were they just okay no, with being like, right, I don't really care. So this is this the thing that blew my mind. So saying, what? Is, sorry, is our job to make informed decisions on behalf of the people that elect us? And how exactly can you make an informed decision on this 60 page document in five seconds? So eventually I put forward a motion at full council to say that we should be furnished with all of the documentation at least five clear working days before a vote. There was no way that the councillors could not support that. It would look insane for them to be like, no, no I don't want to make informed five decisions. Yeah. <laughs> so they did uh, support my motion. Mm -hmm. But then it was, this is what they do then. This is how they bury your, your plans. Right. <laughs> oh, we're going to defer this to um, the, the committee, which is made up of all the chairs of the SPCs and the mayor and the chief executive. So and whenever like, they can get together. They, well, they have meetings. They just, right, okay. they, and I said, oh, cool, can I attend? Uh, no. <laughs> it's like right we, you know just, uh, that's confusing you know and how long will it take and whatever then they send out the minutes of those meetings so buried in the minutes of the meeting it said oh we've decided not to change this but no clarity or transparency on how it was discussed who said what no no very limited minutes from the meeting where they just said this isn't workable blah 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 so how do you respond to that then um, well I was raging obviously went to what can you do went to the media went to loads of different things but um the executive staff and the council were very angry with me for highlighting this issue. And um, I feel kind of inappropriately gave out to me for that. Yeah. And um, they said that I was insinuating that the council and the staff weren't doing a good job, things like that, when in reality, that was never my intention. What I wanted was to do my job, which is make informed decisions. And that was not possible for me on Cork County Council. So you're highlighting something interesting there, which yeah. is that when you get a job, but nobody tells you what the job is. It leads to a level of insecurity where you're like, am I doing this right? That would stop most people from being like, hang on, um, 
what is happening here and why is everyone else okay with this making a decision on a document we haven't read? You know, yeah. I think many people who would have gone before you would be like, oh, I don't want to rock the boat because clearly I've missed a memo here and I don't want to be the one to shake it up. And then the civil servants or the people who have been doing this that way for so long are like, who's this one? Exactly. And there was so many times I felt like an idiot asking questions and then realised, oh, Jesus, no one's ever asked that. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you're it's kind totally of an right. indictment of the system. Yeah, but I remember going to my master's and feeling like an idiot asking questions too, because like terrible at maths and I had to do a double stats module and stuff. And you just have that fear and you feel really insecure and whatever and thinking, this is really expensive. You're taking out a loan for this. Ask every question you need to ask. Yeah. Get over the fear of feeling stupid. And I kind of brought that with me, I suppose, into the game. That's the same. I'm the same. Like, I always ask questions. Yeah. And oftentimes when it's inconvenient, like if I'm on a, say I'm on a radio show and we're talking about the news of the week and there's an expert on and he says something and the radio host, like he says something that's kind of confusing. The radio host wants to keep going. And I'm like, hang on a second. Can we just come back to what you said there? And they're like, we don't have time to come back to it. And I'm like, but no one, if I don't understand it, other people definitely don't understand it. So can we please? But I think... Through school, we're told kind of don't ask questions, which is the opposite of what we should be told at school. It's so true. You're made feel like you're being inappropriate. And you're, certainly... It's like a it's like a criticism of your teacher. Yeah. If you have a question. Yeah, exactly. And that is very much that that exact attempt is what was made on me at the council. Don't ask. You're you're being bold. That was the felt like a an yeah. inappropriate school principal. And so has that <laughs> continued, or how? So how did the councillor job continue then? And it develop? continued in that vein then. And, you know, like even somebody said to me that on my Wikipedia page or something, it describes me as a thorn in the side of Cork County Council. Like that was not my intention. I was asking genuine questions about things that I didn't understand. And that's what transpired. Um, but then like I was only there for like six, seven months. The general election was called. OK, so, so yeah, yeah let's, so, that, so you're a councillor. That's all fine. And then a general election comes up. And first of all, can I just ask moving up because we'll move on from the councillor then. How much does it cost to run for local council? Because I know that there are people listening who might be like, well, if she can do it, I can do it. So oh, just I can. Yeah. yeah. So just around like the, the one, why you picked Sock Dems, the Social Democrats, and two, um, how much it costs you, if you don't mind sharing that with yeah, us. Yeah, no, it's so important. Um, I picked the Social Democrats for a lot of reasons. So I was certainly a swing voter. I guess I had no grow towards anything particular yeah. party because it does seem like if you came in during repeal and marriage equality was big to you and David Norris that you have been kind of a campaign voter like different campaigns have really ignited you and party politics didn't seem to be where you were at growing up so yes that's and why I'm always motivated I think by an injustice right and I think the biggest injustice we're facing now is climate change and the injustice that the next generation faces is pretty it's disgraceful yeah um, so that would have been like, you know, having come out of repeal and marriage equality, those issues were dealt with. There was no motivation to continue based on that. Mm -hmm. The motivation to continue in politics was, was climate change climate. for me. Um, so my dad's side of the family would be Fianna Fáil, my mum's side of the family would be Fianna Gael. My mum had been a member of the Green Party. Um, you know, I could have gone any which Wish way. It. And I thought my one of my biggest bugbear in Irish politics is inheriting your vote, just yes. by default voting something because your parents, parents did. did. It's so short-sighted. And, you know, we're in charge of how our country is run by virtue of who we elect to run it. We should definitely think about it a bit harder than yeah. that. So, I, th you know, you have to practice what you preach. I read into all of the parties and tried to establish where I best aligned in terms of policy. There's no point in even voting for an individual that you like or you like their beliefs if their party doesn't align with the beliefs that they have. 
they can't do very much about it in their position. Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Um, in some countries, you vote for the party, not the person. And in those countries, you see much more social democracy. Right, okay. So uh, there's a quiz you can do online that you answer kind of fairly abstract questions and it tells you what party you align with. I did that. I looked into a lot of the kind of climate. I did that too and it ha it was wildly inaccurate. Oh, really? the party that I would have thought that I was okay. aligned to. Now, part of this podcast and part of my whole Instagram presence is that I don't talk about who I'm affiliated with, like who, what party yeah, I'm affiliated good with. For you. And also, as I have moved geographically around the country, I have voted for the person that is best for the area that I'm living in rather than the party that I'm, that I think should be running the country. And so I have voted for Every different which parties. Way. Yeah, but yeah. that quiz, that is just you. that quiz through me you. a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I did, well, I did loads of things like that. And I finished school in 2008, mm -hmm. um, recession hitting... Banks that was being a great time, out. wasn't it? Yeah, good time. <laughs> but I had a huge disillusionment with Irish politics and I almost felt like, I never thought I'd join a political party because I actually almost felt like that was a dirty word. Mm -hmm. Like, yuck. Yeah. You know, they're awful. I just thought there was no such thing as an honest politician. That's how I felt. But I always kind of watched like different shows and like I'd watch like Vincent Brown's kind of the political stuff or yeah. just kind of vaguely interested without really realising that I was. And people, People that always stood out to me were genuinely Roisin Shortall and Catherine Murphy because it's so rare to see that kind of honesty and integrity in politics. So, for example, Roisin Shortall walked from ministerial position on principle rather than sticking around for the pension because yeah. somebody wanted to put a healthcare facility where they would get more votes rather than where it was needed. And, you know, I do understand that, you know, wanting somebody who looks after your area, but it's a problem in that we end up competing for things in areas where we should have a national approach that actually benefits everybody. Healthcare facilities need to be at the point of need, not at the point of point votes. Of votes yeah. um, and I really admire that. And then Catherine Murphy, who's our other party leader, has done so much in the way of exposing corruption in Ireland that I just think that's the kind of honest new approach to politics that we need. We need more so transparency. That was a huge influence. And then, of course, there's the gender issue as well. Like, yeah. you know, we have a huge problem in with gender and Irish politics, with the majority, you know, with the two oldest, well, most well-established parties, there's, I think, a big problem there too, which then transpires into just Irish politics. Um, so we need to change that. And, you know, like like so much of Irish society, sometimes we're institutionalised and it's difficult to make change and it's hard and people try and it doesn't work. I don't really have time for that. Mm -hmm. We need gender equality. So much of, you know, the female dominated industries in Irish society are undervalued, underpaid, like nurses, carers. Would that happen if there were more women at the decision making table? I don't think so. We don't have more time to waste for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to try and up their gender, gender equality. Course, yeah. I'm sick of it. I have no time for it anymore. They've spent thousands on trying to engage women in politics. It's not working. Mm -hmm. um, I'd rather be in a party where you don't think about being the token woman. You know, adding being a gender quota on a ticket, like we yeah. should be so much further past that. And the Social Democrats are so that was a big draw. We had Mary Lou on, and she was saying the same thing about she had interesting things to say about being a woman in politics. Yeah. Um. Okay. Sorry. And then the cost. The cost. I wish I had researched this before I came in because it's so important to know this, and um, it's it's like there's the cost of your time as well. So I had moved home to work on my family farm and business. We have a vegetable seed company and a farm and I was very lucky in that there were say in the in the week coming up to the election just this is a huge cost aspect of going for an election you need so much time if you're going to give it everything that you know when you're going to work as well 
it's really difficult. Sort of. So I was very privileged in that my mum was I'm my boss to, essentially right, and okay. she gave me time off to do this. Um, she's been incredible support. Like I wouldn't be sitting here now if it weren't for my mum. Yeah. Um, but in terms of say the actual cost, I think that you need to be putting in roughly the same amount as, as the well-established candidates. You're already set at a disadvantage if you're starting off from where I did. Yeah. Um, I started to go fund me and I was, it was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Um, we raised thousands. So I think I'm going to check afterwards and put it in the notes if I'm wrong. But I think you, I would say you need 5,000 euro for a local election. You can do it with way less. Okay. You can do it with way less, but 5,000 is good. And that's for like flyers and what else? What are the, like what Posters are, the, are really expensive. Posters, right. Is that wrong? Am I thinking, I think, I wish I knew how much I spent. Okay, I could even check because maybe fine. that's you an exaggeration. Bring, give it back yeah. to me, and I'll put it on the in the show notes and on the and on Instagram. That would be great because it's such an important thing to know, and you can do it with a lot less, and you can do it with very few canvases. Like nobody would really come out canvas with me in the beginning. You can do it on a shoestring. You can. Don't let it deter you. But it's but a little. The bit more easier, you get, the better. The better. Yeah. Okay. Because you so need posters. Talk to us about the generals. Yeah. So seven months into the council. Um, general election was called and a snap election. So a snap election certainly doesn't favour newer candidates and smaller parties. You get three weeks um, and three weeks in February when it's like dark so early, lashing rain, yeah. makes it hard for you to get out and canvas. There's less daylight posters favour. Like if we had a poster ban, it's not good for newer candidates. I'm against yeah. the plastic waste of it, but until there's a, another option, I guess. Um, it's good to get new people involved in politics because it brings awareness to you. But then when it's dark in the evening, there's less time with posters. So it definitely favours incumbents to have a snap election in February. Yeah. Um, and it's just mayhem to try and organise everything when you don't have that well-oiled organisational machine that the other parties have. Like they would have canvassers for every box in a constituency. And that means you, know, you go to your primary school to vote. Yeah, it's like two roads on a street yes. is one box. The well-established parties would have canvassing teams for every box. So they make sure they get to house that every house for that box. I don't even know where the boxes are. That was the position I was in. You know what I mean? So what made you decide to run? Um, or was it the party that was like, you should? I guess like the the motivation to, to affect, you know, you get onto the council and there's loads you can do locally. And I really love that job. I would have loved a couple of years in there. You know, it's a great experience. But coming back to kind of the motivation for going in and climate change and you know, gender equality, all of these things. They're national, kind of better stab at it at yeah. a, on a national level. You can kind of get more involved in national issues. So how many seats were there in the constituency? Three. And who had they been held by? Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Independent. Okay. So there hadn't been a SOC Dem and... Yeah, and the Independent is incredibly strong. Like, uh, top the poll in this election, he organises a bus that brings people from the constituency to the north to get operations that they'd be stuck in a waiting list for here. Wow, so okay. incredibly popular. Understandably, people feel like for the first time ever a politician has actually done something for them. Um, and so, so you didn't fancy your chances, but you wanted to go at it anyway. I kind of secretly fancied my chances again. You did, know? Whose seat <laughs> did you think you would take? Um, I thought that if I took a seat, it probably would be the Fine Gael one and that is what transpired. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a Fine Gael TD in Cork South West, Jim Daly, and he stepped down. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of a, not an opening, like everyone would have said, no, no, like like we said earlier, that's a Fine Gael seat. We'll replace it with But it. there was an opening. Right, okay. You know, um, so they had two Fine Gael candidates. They had, there was two Fianna Fáil candidates, a couple of independents, Sinn Féin, Green Party and myself. 
Um, and three seats, like I said, it's so much harder. Like if it was a five seat shirt, then you could have your standard. Yeah. The Fianna Fáil, the Fianna Gales, kind of strong, independent, and you might be able to, you know, so yeah, really difficult in a three seater constituency. And when everyone says, you know, that Fianna Gael Heartland and Fianna Fáil have always had a seat there, there's no shifting the independency she's done so much for yeah, all of the discourse all of the talk around it is really like this isn't like you shouldn't even try but you did yeah you and might get it next time you might maybe, you next, might, time. maybe next time yeah okay yeah. so then you get elected was that as tight as the local um, it was in a different way so like that we did so well in first preferences of the locals and then all the transfers brought us down in this one I think we were fourth or fifth in first preference votes but we were only 100 behind the other person and we knew that the Green Party transfers straight away would bring us up over. Right. Um, so then transfers brought us up to the third seat. Um, so we, you saw probably on social media there was an unofficial vote left transfer left campaign. Yes. That really played out in Cork South West. Um, obviously we saw the bigger parties have very organised voting pacts and I think it was a surprise for them to see how this unofficial, unorganised hashtag a, basically hashtag worked. So it was almost like um, the Sinn Féin candidate in the area was my running mate. Okay, you know? so they kind of, yeah. And, and like, I, I have to give a shout out to Paul because he was an amazing, he's, he's actually since left Sinn Féin, but um, I went onto the council with him who's the most supportive colleague could have imagined, um, the most respectful candidate to run against then in the in the general and I got an incredible amount of transfers there. Um, so just the most gracious and amazing Who was candidate. the first person to get the seat? In that constituency? Uh, Michael Collins, the independent we spoke about with the bus. And then the Fianna Fáil? Fianna Fáil, Christopher O'Sullivan. Um, and me and Christopher actually got elected on the same count, the eighth count. Um, so there was kind of, at that point, all of the talliers would have known Christopher O'Sullivan was in. And then there was me and the Fianna Gael candidate, but I would have needed, so the last person to be eliminated at that point was the Sinn Féin candidate I just spoke about. And I needed... 2,000 plus transfers. So everyone's going, that's probably not feasible. But early on in the count, when everyone's tallying, the candidate doesn't normally tally because you might have to go and do a media interview, things like that. I had a look at Paul's transfers and at the boxes I tallied. I was looking at like 80, 90%. But oh, I was like, okay. maybe that was a Sinn Féin first preferences in my area, which would go well to me. For example, there's all these geographical factors, different things. Yes. So I was like, shouldn't get your hopes up. But then they were, this is it. It was like, you know, I think it was four in the morning. Our count stayed going all night. Were you asleep in a chair in the corner? No, I was like sitting in a chair <laughs> in the middle of the room, shaking. <laughs> um, and all the talliers and all my family and everything on my tally team went off to see how were these Sinn Féin votes going to go? Because this was it. This was yeah. the last count. We knew Christopher was going to take a seat. Michael was in. Was it going to be me or Tim? Obviously, people thought it was going to be Tim because he was ahead. But we had an inclination that we might get a crazy amount of the transfers from Paul. Um, so everyone's around tallying and Geraldine Harney was the RT presenter that day and she'd been really great. Um, she came over to me and my campaign manager, Claire, who was sitting down and said, Fina Gale just told me that you're going to do it. And we just couldn't, you can't get your hopes up, up, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I could see like my family started walking towards me from having tallied. You can see the piles. Like we yeah. talked about piles of 15, you can calculate how many there is. And they all started looking at me like, oh, you know, happening. jaw dropped. Yeah. Everybody around the room started looking at me in that sense like, just jaws on the floor, couldn't believe it. But you don't know until you hear it called out. Um, and yeah, we got 3,023 or something transfers from Paul. So us well so over the line, the took over the seat well over. So then you're a TD from that moment then? 
from that moment, it was so weird. You're stra- <laughs> weirdly, you're not a counsellor immediately. They, you get like you're a, gone. your email address is it's gone. gone. <laughs> like you go to, like, just check your emails because I haven't been keeping up with emails all of this election. You're, you're not a counsellor anymore. anymore. It's just gone. And does someone explain to you how to be a TD then? No. <laughs> no, and again, there's you know this this is something I think that I think is really interesting. There's what the general public think a TD is. There's what a TD is actually supposed to be, and then there's the approach that each individual TD takes. Okay, to this. so tell us what the actual job of a TD the is. The actual job of a and TD. your approach to it. Yes. So my understanding of the actual job of a TD is to take part in a, the legislative process on a national basis. What happens oftentimes is people's perception of what a TD is that you will look after your local area. Mm-hmm. And in order to stay elected, the perception is there that you have to do that. This is incredibly time consuming. So you get calls, you could get um, correspondence about, for example, I need a house. I need healthcare, I need this road fixed. I need whatever. And I think this. If I can have some kind of impact as to whether or not you are entitled to a house. There's something fundamentally wrong with that. You shouldn't shouldn't be more or less entitled because you've got a TD who's got your back. Mm -hmm. There's something fundamentally wrong with that system. You're either entitled to a house or you're not. That's my, I think there's something wrong if TDs can pull strings on who can get houses. Is it not about, I have been emailing the Department of Housing I have been emailing the Department of Social Protection about my house for six years. No one's getting back to me. I've been ignored. Can you please see if you can do something about escalating this issue so that someone hears my phone ringing? Oh, yeah. No, the people getting in touch with you are coming from a genuine place. I don't mean that at all, that they're encouraging you to pull strings, nothing like that. There's a flawed system there. And when TDs can go in and pull strings for certain people within that flawed system while other people are still waiting at the bottom of the pile, that's not okay. It's not fair. Um, and the system needs to be better. I think, you know, th- we need almost a public awareness campaign of what you're entitled to. And then perhaps those reps that TDs put in don't have any impact on whether or not somebody gets a house. If that's the case, then, and then when they do get a house, the TD gets the credit for it. That's just a serious waste of everybody's time when you should be doing your job. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's mm-hmm. kind of my take on it. And I, I just think it's a cultural thing and oftentimes... Um, you know, because I, I often bring this up. I'm like, I'm really confused about this role. And like, should we be doing that? It doesn't feel like that's OK. And then people say, no, but people in your constituency want to know that you would give them that time. Does yes. it matter if it has an impact? I'm like, oh, that's also something that takes so much time away from you actually doing your job. And it's really difficult to know. I how think that's exactly the problem, though, because your yeah. when you're knocking on doors, looking for people to vote for you to become a TD, they want to know that once you're there, you're not going to just forget about them. Yes. They, because they're the people who got you there. And so I think that, but that means that when you go, if every, if that's the way that that works, then all of the TDs from all of the areas go to Dublin. And if everyone's only concerned about their local constituency, then there is no sort of united national front that allows us to make progress for everyone at the same time. Yeah, and I think like that's why local government is so important and like councillors and like your role is certainly that the local issues and I think that's really important to feed that back into national. But the approach that loads of TDs understandably end up taking is the role of being a super councillor because it gets you so many votes. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of breaks the system a bit and it ends up, yeah, everybody looking after their own area rather than doing the job which is national governance. So how are you approaching the role of TD now then? Um, like what's your day like? 
days would be incredibly busy. So there's a lot of time spent on the phones, a lot of time spent on emails. With um, like departments or like with individuals or yeah, both. depending on cases. Yeah. And you could like that, you make the role your own as well. So okay. like I find myself for the last week, I'm spending so much time focusing on this issue of maternity restrictions in hospitals. And I could be focusing more on local potholes yes. in, that, in okay. that instance. And perhaps I should, but I think like everybody, it, like that you do make it your own role and you end up drawn to things that you can't help it. It's like, you know, what do you end up watching on TV? It's like, what are you drawn to? Yes. And okay. there's a certain element of that, that every personality shapes the role. And it certainly seems like that sort of, I've seen you a lot this week and I don't know when this podcast is going to go out. So, but in the week that is the 20 whatever of September, speaking about husbands or partners or fathers not being able to go into maternity hospitals with their pregnant wives and wives or women or whatever. Um, That it is certainly an injustice and it seems to be like that you are incredibly activated when you see these sort of injustices like it's this yeah I just can't get over it yeah Yeah, yeah. just like until this is fixed I can't it's like yeah Um, maybe it's kind of obsessive personality is it's like I get something and I can't well, I Let think it it's go. a black and white thing where you're like, I, I, I will know when this is, I will know when this is fixed. Yes. Whereas there is endless potholes and there will always be potholes. Yeah. Whereas if I can get this big thing sorted, then it's a, it's, it's like an, an on off switch that affects hundreds of thousands of people yes. at the moment. Yeah. And I can't handle the stories anymore. Like since I raised it, so many women are getting in touch with me across the country who are either traumatized. Yeah. Um, te- terrified of what's coming um, or just devastated. Like it's hard enough to be on your own. I think when things go well during childbirth, when things don't go well, it's incredibly traumatic to be alone. Um, and I'm getting these stories all the time now because I've raised it so much Yeah. Um, that that's also a massive motivation to focus, you know, make that my main focus. I suppose as a week, I'll give you a few things that happened yeah. this week to explain what it's like. And, I, like and geographically where you are, because where do yeah. you live? West Cork, okay. near Skibbereen, Ballydehob. And you have to be in the doll? Yes. How many days a week? Uh, three or four. Okay. Seems to depend. I think in normal non-COVID times, there's a standard Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that could go on till all hours of the night. But oftentimes there's things like COVID committees on Fridays and things. So I'm, I don't know what the norm is like. I've only been a TD during a pandemic, but I can give you the kind of, you know. <laughs> give us the pandemic yeah, version. Yeah, the pan- pandemic version. So um, I'd either be up in Dublin three or four days a week and then back down in West Cork after that. So if you have Monday or Friday, especially in the constituency, you try and get to different parts of it, meet people in different areas. People might want to talk to you about something. There's less in the way of events than there ever was, obviously. But Do you have to have, like, do you have to be available sitting in an office for people to find you on a specific day? I think they're called clinics. Clinics. Um, I haven't done clinics yet. Oh, because of the pandemic. Has, because of the pandemic. Yes. You know, the advice is to work from home as much as possible. But we do, if somebody gets in touch and wants to meet us, we just arrange to meet them okay. specifically in an area and we'll do all of that, say, Castle Town Bear in one week and band another week. So it's like a clinic without being like, open door, let's have a, a gathering, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have constituency offices in two different parts of the constituency as well where people can arrange to meet us. And when you become a TD, you get a secretarial assistant, a parliamentary assistant, and they can help with all of that stuff as well. Um, so we do a bit of that, going to the different offices, working together. And then, um, for example, also this week I had a meeting. I didn't understand. So you can put it, you can put together a bill, you know, and put yeah. that forward and try and effect a change. So um, I've been working this week on my first bill. Oh, and wow. Cool. Uh, yeah. I thought, how does this work? Do I need to, like, 
go and do a degree on how to make a bill or like, you know, it's sure the civil servants who can. So help. there is, this is yeah. great. So you had a meeting with, um, there's like legal teams and the bills office and they help you. So you, I had my first meeting with them and explained what I'm looking for. And Are you allowed to tell us or yeah, not? Totally, yeah, totally. I'd love to. Um, so, you know, one of the things I think if I achieved something in a term that I'd love to do is to increase female participation in politics. I think it's really important. For example, there's in all of Cork City and County, there's 17 TDs. Okay. And I'm the only woman of those 17. So when I attend like a meeting, for example, for Oireachtas members for Cork, with, could be Cork Airport, could be the HSC, I'm the only woman in the room. And I just think it's yeah. just unbelievable. And I, I just really want to encourage more women to, to get involved in politics. When we were at the count for the general election, there was young girls arriving at the count centre because they'd seen a younger female on the poster and became engaged. That's amazing. Amazing. So three, or three girls came in once and I said to them, do you want to be politicians? I didn't quite understand at the time why there was young girls coming in to meet me. But in hindsight, you know, the parents explained it as well. But um, two of them wanted to be Taoiseach and one wanted to be a hairdresser. But like they've been that's so amazing. motivated because there's that expression, you have to see it to be it. Do you say teachers or Taoiseach? Taoiseach. Oh my God. Two of them want to be Taoiseach and one want to be a hairdresser. <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, but there's like, you know, you have to see it to be it. And we we haven't seen that many women in politics. And, you know, that just goes to how much work needs to be done. Is and that what the bill is about? It is. So one of the biggest barriers, you know, after every election, I remember being on the Tonight Show just after the election and the presenters scratching their heads and all of the panellists why wasn't there a better return of female TDs? You know, how has this happened again? Yeah. Scratching their heads, there's one very obvious barrier. <laughs> and that is, there is no maternity leave for any type of public rep. Yeah, we saw Councillor, that with Senator or Lisa TD. Chambers and yes. who was it in Dublin that was running and she just had twins. Her name begins with a H. Is it Holly as well? No. No. Not sure. Anyway, I'll put it in the show notes. Put it in. Um, so like I'd spoken to women on Cork County Council and they had started and had, had started families and had kids during their terms and said it was really, really hard. So you have to take sometimes sick leave, which is just insulting. Um, your wages are docked and you're working from your maternity bed. Like you don't get cover, you don't get paid. All of the, it's, it's really... Are you suggesting that then someone, like, so if, if if I was a TD and I went on maternity leave, that someone would step in for me? Or that... I, yeah, I think that would be necessary. Yeah. And would I've that be a democratic election as well? Or would it just be someone I can choose? So this is what we'd be working on. Perhaps it needs to be the case that when you run, whether you're male or female, because parental leave is important, so yeah. just maternity leave, um, that perhaps you put who would replace you on the thing. Okay. Perhaps it's, um, I don't think it's feasible to have another election every time. I yes. don't think that's an option. Um, perhaps it's just that it's up to the candidate and somebody's interviewed and they have to represent your votes, things that you agree to, or yeah. perhaps the party appoints the person. We'll look at all the different ways and see what's the best so way to form it. the that, bill. That's going to be amazing. And so then you're going to put together this bill and then you bring it into the chamber. Yes. And, and then, then all of the TDs are going to vote on it. Exactly. So what actually happens See, it'd be great there now if there was more women in the chamber because then it definitely Well, exactly. <laughs> I know. But what we normally see and uh, listeners might not know this, I didn't know this until I was a TD. What happens is opposition parties and TDs can put together a bill. Then it's put to the House. The government put forward an amendment. Mm -hmm. We get to vote on the amendment and then the bill is amended. Okay. So without exception so far, the government amendment has watered the bill down into complete insignificance. 
and then we vote on that. Okay, so you're trying to have them not amended. Well, I'd like to take cross-party approach. And, you know, perhaps I'll get somebody in Phoenix. You can Paul, offer them an SPC. Yeah, if only I had something to offer. Yeah, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. You need to lobby them. Yeah. But, I'll give you a Christmas but present. But we're seeing now with the Dying with Dignity Bill coming up, um, even in the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party meeting last night, they agreed to a free vote. So yeah. the odd time you'll see that there's a change. And I think, like, would you be well voting against parental leave for... I don't think so because as you say it's parental leave it's not just women like it's going to be for fathers as well. Yeah and it would take down a huge barrier. It's so archaic as well that there isn't. It's like the only job now that you can't get it for. Absolutely and like you know even that time when I raised it with um, Micheál Martin uh, raised it in the doll that you know it's actually unbelievable that there isn't any maternity leave for female politicians since you're in your own party you're struggling with gender balance do you think this might help? Yeah. Um, and he was great. He was like, absolutely. You know, I totally agree. So I do believe that there will be support. And I know at that time, it was really interesting that uh, Lisa Chambers was sort of not really in agreement. She thought that they, it's not possible. You know, what we, we need is more support. It's not possible to take leave. But I can completely understand why she feels like that. Yeah. You know, like maybe, you know. It but just, it will be possible if you make it possible. Well, exactly. You know, and that just really, it it. it it kind of reinforces the the problems the that we have. That yeah. there, there's well, there's a cultural and societal problem there that you know a lot of female, I think, representatives understandably would feel like, but it will affect my re-election. And of course, like that, but that's a cultural and societal problem that we need to change. And changing the rules, at least if we cater for it, culture and society might might start we'll to follow. accept it more. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's a you know starting point, and I just think it's so important. And often times. The start of a political career is in the council, so it's very important that it's in the council. Like speaking to women on Cork County Council who went through this, um, they said that the council were like, we would love to help. We're so sorry that there isn't a provision here for this. This is terrible. You know, we feel terrible. Wish there was something we could do. So they were like, it just needs to be legislated for. But like, I have to say that, and I to- I believe that 100%, mm-hmm. but you know, because there hasn't been that many women in politics historically. I mean, the first day in the door, Catherine Murphy said to me, you're one of a hundred women to ever sit in this room. Um, when just after the local election, unfortunately, my brother passed away in Cambodia. Sorry. So I had to travel to Cambodia for over three weeks just after the election. And the council, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, they were really supportive. And they said, you know, you will be marked absent, but under mitigating circumstance. So your wages won't be docked. And I just thought in that moment, so a mitigating circumstance that men have experienced before, grief, why can't maternity be a kind of mitigating circumstance so their wages aren't docked. I just, you know... It's unfathomable, really. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, it's great that they provide that when people are going through, uh, you know, grieving period or, you you know, you have to... In that situation, I just had to be out of the country because he passed away abroad. But why then... Is, is this not a mitigating circumstance? circumstance? Maybe some sick leave and if not, your wages are docked. But it's going to be birth? even better than a mitigating circumstance now because there will be provision for it, I hope. When can we expect the bill? I'm not sure. So yeah, this is my first time ever going through the process of creating a bill and I'm really not sure of how long it takes. So the first step was meeting with the, the bills office and the legal team and they're going to prepare um, like loads of background information. I already had in advance of this gotten in touch with the Oireachtas Library Services who do research for you and they sort of gave a breakdown of how other countries do it which is really interesting so we can kind of compare and contrast and see. It's different to the UK like the an MP in the UK got in touch with me after I raised it with Taoiseach to say she was the first MP to get a locum somebody to literally mm-hmm. replace her and vote for her um, Jennifer Carl McNeil of Fianna Gael TD is working on a, an option to vote remote which would help in terms of things like COVID but also maternity leave she's great I think there should be good solidarity from women yeah. and other parties she's really impressive um, but 
as for how long it will take, you know, they'll research it. We'll figure out what the best way is, what's possible, what's not possible. If there's things we should do in the short term, the long term, the medium term. And I'll keep you posted because I I think I should document it. How do you make a bill? Because I'm learning at the moment as well. We're definitely... I think fasc- I'm definitely fascinated by stuff like that. Do you do much on social? Um, we Where do. Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we do a podcast. What's your handle? Um, at Holly Cairns TD on everything. Yeah. And so we started on the council doing a podcast called Inside the Chamber where we'd explain how local government does and sometimes doesn't work because we found that people were really engaged in finding that out. Just from fresh eyes, I had no experience going and explaining how I saw it proved to be really effective. People love to understand how, how government works and what the ins and outs are. So we make a point of always explaining things like that in the podcast as well. We'd be like, here's how we make a bill. Here's how a vote happens. You know, we just explain it. But like, I should be doing way more in the way of Instagram stories and stuff. And I just don't. I think you have enough to be doing. <laughs> exactly. You leave the Instagram to me and you you go change the face of our country. Okay. Holly, thank you so much for joining me. We'll definitely have you back and keep us in touch, keep in touch with me about the about the bill and I'll put in the show notes the stuff about the fees and how much it costs to run. Will you let us know how much it costs to run in general as well? Yes. And then I can put both of those up. Definitely, because it's worth noting that it's, uh, you know, it's still people who are in maybe a more lucky and privileged position who can run for election and that's a problem too in terms of representation. It's not just about female representation. We need all parts of society represented and I'm privileged with my supportive mum, you know? Like there's all those things that we need to take into consideration when we're talking about actual representation. It's not it's not good on gender. It's not good on cultures. You know, there's so much economic groups. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Basically. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you would rate it and review it wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Um, Also, if you would share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at Stephanie Preisner, that would be great. And then I can reshare it on my stories and send you a little message to say thank you so much. We are, as ever, produced by the Headstuff Network. Is that... The Headstuff Podcast Networks. What is the difference between the podcast studios and the Headstuff Podcast Network? Okay. We are, as ever, produced by the Headstuff Podcast Network. We record at the podcast studios. Our imaging and graphic design is by Kahlo Gara, and our music is by Only Ruin. See you again next week. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.